Now, it's time for the Cybersecurity News Bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News Bite, episode number 69 for September 25th, 2023. Booking.com phishing campaign. Fake proof of concept code leads to Venomrat. Hacker USDOD leaks highly sensitive transunion data. And fresh wave of malicious NPM packages threaten Kubernetes configs and SSH keys. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am your annoying host, Jim Guckin, here to talk about the cybersecurity news that I think you need to pay attention to in this upcoming week. Uh, the first thing on the uh, thing, which I thought was an interesting story when I first saw it pop through, and it's you have to understand there's a lot of things that go through my head when I'm looking through news stories. Some of it's like, is it relevant or other? Is it nifty? Uh, and this one falls kind of into that second category of a nifty kind of uh, attack. So... You know, usually, um, in your typical hotel phishing campaign, the attacker will make a request to the hotel, either a new or existing reservation's made, or they check up on the existing reservation. They uh, establish a need to share documents. And honestly, if you've been paying attention to cybersecurity, the next part should not be you know, a surprise. They share these documents that have malware in them. Now, they claim the documents have some kind of uh, doctor's note for a medical condition or some kind of special request that they want. All this is um, predicated on them opening up, having the malware built in, and they try to harvest um, credentials for the uh, hotel or the financial information for customers or anything like a key logger they type in. So the whole idea is to, is to get that kind of information. So that is your typical everyday right now, typical hacker campaign against, um, you know, a hotel. What you would expect. What, what would be not out of the ordinary uh, right now. So this new one uh, that I want to talk about was discovered by Akamai. Um, and... It's kind of the same infection chain. They make an existing, or they, they have an existing hotel uh, reservation they know of, or they make a new one. They share these documents. But rather than just putting malware to get credentials and financial information from customers, um, they, use it, they use an info stealer malware. And what they do is they use this so that they can actually message actual customers. So it's not now just targeting the hotel, they're targeting the actual customers of that hotel. Now, as the hacker pretending to be the hotel, they use the hotel's trusted communication channels that already exist. So it's not like they're going outside and they're saying, hey, you know, I'm pretending to be Marriott Hotels. They're using Marriott Hotels um, or, you know, whatever the hotel is. Marriott's just one I pick because it's the one I usually go to. But they, they use the hotel's uh, trusted communication channels like booking.com or the hotel messaging platform or even contact the travel agency in which you made your reservation with. And then they send a phishing email to the customer of the hotel. And they do things like you know, ask for credit card ver verification. Um, they you the, the, the emails are very professionally written. Uh, because they have access to the hotel's real communication, so they make their fake communications look exactly like the real hotel's communications. 
and they point you towards a URL. And I should say the tactics they use in this communication, pretending to be the hotel or using the hotel to contact their victim, the customer, uh, they use the same kind of tactics you would see with any phishing campaign. So it's not something you're unfamiliar with. It's something you're going to be very familiar with. And with this, they you know need you to do this quickly. Your 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 reservation will be canceled. Blah blah blah. Something to get you to act quickly without thinking. So they give you this URL to uh, verify your credit card information. And this is where it gets a little devious. They they point you to a URL, which is their URL. It's not the not any other one's hotel. Uh, the site's modeled after their booking site. So it looks exactly like the hotel's website. If you're not paying attention to the URL, the entire website's copied. When you launch that website, there is a JavaScript code that's in the background that runs. It detects information about your computer. So it kind of fingerprints your computer. So it knows what it's doing. It has um, multiple kind of security things built in. So it's not running on a person's computer who's trying to pull the data apart. It has some anti-analysis techniques built into it so that even if for some reason it is tricked to be run on a computer, a security researcher's computer, they have a hard time trying to get the data out of it. And the devious part is it's only going to display that phishing page to the actual victim of the scam. If you're not one targeted, it will show you a blank page. So if I try to go to that page and I'm not the victim of, of the, of the uh, scam, I will see a blank page or some other page. It, it's, it's not really, it won't, it only display to, if you are the target of it, which I think is a very genius way of doing this. Cause then once again, security researchers will have a hard time pulling that site apart unless they have the right um, detection uh, algorithm on the, on the computer to make it look like the victim. So as it always comes, where or how do you protect yourself? And this is just like every other phishing um, thing. If you get something like this, always great. And, and I know it's kind of funny for me to say, call the hotel and be like, hey, I got this email. Is it real? And don't call from the phone number in the phishing email. A lot of fishers will do what they can to make the phishing page so real that you might want to call the phone number on that page. But that is really going to the fishers themselves. So look up the actual phone number of the hotel you're staying at and verify whatever information they are requesting from you. Like, Hey, I got this email. It says you want my credit card information. Is this right? Even if it is the, and this is where it's tricky because usually a phishing email, you, you say, look for this, look for the sender, make sure it's the right thing. And this one is all coming from the legitimate hotel you're staying at. So always call and verify before you send information like that, especially over the web. Um, check the URL, the site it points you to. But take your time to think, because this is the, the number one tactic of most fishers is they want you to act quickly without thinking. Take time, even if it looks legit, and make the phone call just to cover yourself, because this is a pretty ingenious technique, as I said, because it comes through an official channel. So it's not going to set off, you know, fishing filters. It's not going to set off any of that stuff because it's legitimately that hotel you're staying at's ta uh, communication channel. And you probably got other communications from them from there. So just be cautious when you're booking hotels um, that you're cautious if they try to push you for information real quick. Call the hotel itself. 
it's the best thing I can do. And it said they may, you may call and they go, yeah, this is actually you know stuff we need. That's great, but you saved yourself because just putting it online, which I am always guilty. I'd rather do things online than call in person. Uh, but this is why that step's always important because you can find yourself the victim. And I'm sure you don't want that. For our second story, uh, this is one I, I find very interesting because it, to me, is stuff that I do. So let's start the story first with the Zero Day Initiative. On August 17, 2023, they publicized a remote code execution vulnerability in WinRAR. Uh, the, if you're curious of the actual one, it's CVE 2023-4477. That's not the actual thing we want to talk about right now. Because the vulnerability is one thing, but um, what happened after that, I think, is the more interesting part. So on June 8th, the Zero Day Initiative told the vendor. On August 21st, the threat actor called Whaler Plunk published a proof of concept code for this vulnerability to GitHub. And what usually happens is a bunch of security minded people will go take a look at that proof of concept and, 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 and kind of play with it and see it. And, you know, if you're a red teamer, add it to your, you know, your, your arsenal. Um, or if you're a blue teamer, how do you defend against it? So security people tend to like proof of concept codes. But this proof of concept code posted by Whaler Pork on GitHub was fake. In total reality, this um, POC, the proof of concept code meant to exploit WinRAR, was actually a proof of concept script that exploited an SQL injection vulnerability in GeoServer, which was tracked as CVE 2023-25157. So now you're kind of thinking, uh, why, why did they say it was one vulnerability and then it was really another vulnerability? The whole point was to get you to go and run uh, this, this POC. Uh, and it's pretty interesting because uh, Palo Alto, their security team, didn't think that this vulnerability was targeted at security researchers. Um, which, as I said, security researchers are the ones that kind of generally run to this kind of stuff. Uh, Palo Alto security team kind of thinks that this was meant to compromise other um, bad actors and, and forcing them to try to adopt new uh, vulnerabilities. So as a hacker, I see this new uh, POC come out. I want to take it and build it into my malware. Um, and this is what Palo Alto thinks this um, Whaler Plunk was trying to go after. And it kind of calls out to a website called checkblacklistwords.eu, which hosts uh, various files that's needed to uh, infect and run the malware called Venomrat. Now, Palo Altos, if you have them, they're already in their block lists. Um, and this was all prior to the GitHub publishing because they said it was another vulnerability that was pretending to be a new vulnerability. Um, but it, it shows you the, the tactics uh, that malicious gangs will go after, sometimes even amongst themselves. As I said, why I'm sure, and I trust Palo Alto because they are security researchers and I'm just a guy who likes security news, who works in the security space. Um, I'm sure there's some security uh, people who less 
cautious security people who may have felt for this or fell for this vulnerability, not knowing what it is. Um, but this is kind of a tactic that you do see in, you know, malware groups all the time because code, and we talked about this many times on the show, code gets reused from one group to another. Once it's kind of found to be efficient, someone else will bring on these tactics or these vulnerabilities and use it in their own piece of malware. And that's kind of why the dangerous thing of, of releasing a proof of concept code is usually done after a patch has been placed. And why the big thing for me that usually worries me is when someone says, hey, we have a proof of concept code, but we're not going to release it. Well, now you're going to tell other people that there's, there's a way of doing it. Uh, and that happens with a lot of these vulnerabilities, especially the more popular the product is. Uh, more of these um, malware gangs or... Um, you know, sophisticated groups start to target around. All right, let's start pivoting to this attack tactic. Usually I would say like an ATP, someone who's more um, dangerous might have bought these way before anyone knew what they were. Um, but the gangs tend to use the ones that are out there and they, 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 they're willing to buy uh, and they're willing to trade and they're willing to have people, you know, leave the main group to another group, which takes some of the code with it which is maybe, you know, what this group is after is like, hey, let's just target another another group. Uh, and it's usually not for financial gain, usually that I see. This is more like a <laughs> you fell for it kind of thing. Um, so be careful when you are approached with a chance to download a proof of concept code. Um, and I, I will say I, I probably wasn't I mean, I, I usually run things in a virtual environment and all this other stuff, um, but I never thought that the proof of concept code itself could be weaponized. Um, this kind of thing shows me, yeah, probably I need to pay a little more attention to what I'm doing um, because they can weaponize this stuff and they can make it look like a legitimate, hey, I'm just sharing information and, you know, end up bad. So just take a little bit of caution when you're, when you're snooping for security things online. Now for our third story this week is one that should possibly terrify you. Um, and, and this all revolves around a particular threat actor called USDOD. I'm guessing a play on the United States Department of Defense. Uh, they are a threat actor and they have announced uh, this week that they have highly sensitive data and they're going to share it. Uh, stolen from the re, uh, from the credit reporting agency TransUnion, um, and they have a leaked uh, database which has about three gigabits of data in it. And supposedly, I haven't seen this leak, so I have to say supposedly uh, this data contains personal identifiable information, the PII, of about fifty eight thousand five hundred and five people, uh, which is a very specific number. Uh, and these people are from all across the globe. Uh, and for those of you who may be listening more likely, America and Europe are included in that all across the globe. Uh, and the, they have just the, the litany of information they have in, in this database includes your first name, your last name, uh, a transunion identifier, which they just use. It's not it doesn't mean anything outside of transunion sex, passport information, place of birth, uh, date of birth, um, marriage age, current employer information um, like that could be used to, you know, 
do some other kind of scams, whether it's directly at you or um, about, you know, or, or taking like loans out in your name. Because also in this, they have um, who your employer is, some financial transactions that gets run through the credit uh, agency, your credit score, loans in your name, uh, remaining balances on loans, who gave you that loan, and when TransUnion first began to monitor you. And that's usually the first time you apply for a credit card along those lines. And the reason this is dangerous is because I can tell you there are, in that litany of information they have, if you use a, or if you put a freeze on your credit, which is something that not many people know you can do, you can put a freeze on your credit so that if you go to apply for credit, there's additional checks that they have to do to allow that credit to go through. Um, some of this may be, you know, information about uh, where you've lived, how much your mortgage payment is. Uh, these are the kind of questions I've seen uh, when, because I constantly every year freeze my credit just to make sure that um, it's something that, you know, I don't want people, even if you have my credit card number or my uh, social security number, I don't necessarily want you to be able to open credit in my name. But I forget about it. And then every time I, I, I go to need uh, credit, like buying a vehicle, uh, I run into this. And some of those questions are in that slurry of information I just read, as well as they get, it gives you all the information you can to possibly take a loan out in someone's name. So very, very uh, dangerous. Now, USDOD, the threat actor, claims to have details on a bunch of Airbus vendors, the Airbus, the airplane that flies, uh, the, their manufacturer. And the threat actor has obtained personal information about... 3,200 individuals uh, who are associated with Airbus vendors. That includes their names, job titles, addresses, email addresses, and phone numbers. Once again, not a great thing. So USDOD posted on uh, some hacker thread in a new forum. Uh, they announced that they've also joined the ransomware group RansomMed. RansomMed? however you pronounce it. Um, they are not a group to be trifled with in, in this space. They're, 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 they're a ransomware group. Their whole thing is to extort people. And now they have all this information which they can use to fish you better. And they were going to expose the, the these 3,200 people from the Airbus vendors information. Uh, USDOD also said that Lockheed Martin and Raytheon might be their next targets. So not only if they hit one, they're going after, and I would say there's a difference between Airbus and Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. They, those two are defense contractors. They tend to have a little more security on it, uh, but nothing is impenetrable. So TransUnion kind of put out some statements and I'm just going to highlight some here. Uh, TransUnion said they are aware of limited uh, online activity alleging that data obtained from multiple entities, including TransUnion, will be released. As soon as they discovered these threats out there, they partnered with an outside cybersecurity and forensics agency, which everyone does when, when there's a, a chance they've been uh, breached, and they're launching a thorough investigation. Now, at the time that the, the statement was made, um, them and their external experts have found no indication that TransUnion systems have been breached directly or that any data has been taken out of their environment. So 
that's why you always take some of these with a grain of salt, but it also doesn't mean that they don't have the data. It may have come from a third party that had that data. Um, and we'll see in the coming weeks what really comes out of this, because they may just not find the evidence right away. Now, TransUnion also said through their investigation, they have found multiple aspects of the message, including the data formatting of fields, do not match the data that TransUnion keeps in their in their databases. So maybe they're saying it came from a third party. Uh, data protection is obviously TransUnion's top priority. They take their assertions regarding information security and is going to continue to monitor this, this situation. So TransUnion is kind of saying at this point, look, we brought someone in. We don't think we don't believe it's us. Maybe it's a third party who had access to our data. Um, the data tables don't uh, match up properly, but it's still something to be wary of and something to keep an eye on because, you know, data leakage is everywhere. But at this point, our data has been leaked by so many people. I mean, some of that information is already out there long ago, minus some of the very specific stuff for TransUnion. But um, keep an eye on your credit. That's all I can really say going forward. Um, and hopefully we'll find out later on how this attack was done and more information on what really happened. For our final story this week, um, something to just kind of keep on your mind, um, because this is something we've talked about before, which is poisoning the well in which a lot of applications run from. So a bunch of cybersecurity researchers found uh, malicious packages that are in the uh, NPM package registration. So, you know, NPM is the, the kind of the install file for Linux stuff um, where you pull that stuff from. Uh, and these malicious packages in there are designed to um, pull out Kubernetes configurations and their SSH keys from compromised machines and send them to obviously a remote server in which the attackers control. Now, these packages attempt to impersonate JavaScript libraries uh, and components such as the ESL int plugin and the TypeScript SDK tools. I am not a developer, so I'm not quite sure what these tools are. I can just talk on the generality of they make these tools look like other tools so that if you install them, you're installing this malicious code kind of in the background. Um, but when you run these kind of uh, infected, you know, libraries, uh, you find that multiple versions of the package were running code that you can't read. They're obfuscated. Uh, and this is to collect and siphon sensitive files from the, the victim's machine who's running this. Um, so they did find, the security researchers did find that um, the uh, Kubernetes configs and their SSH keys were being sent out. Also, um, they were harvesting usernames, IP address, host names, all of which were then transmitted um, to the malicious domain, which is uh, app.threatest, T-H-R-E-A-T-E-S-T, dot com. Now, there have been 14 different packages so far. Their names are in the show notes. I'm not going to read them all here because, you know, they're not always the most readable or would it meet the most interesting part of the show. Um, but if you want to curious to it, you can go to cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. You can go to uh, episode 69, which will be on the top as soon as this is published um, and find the, the 14 different uh, NPM packages so far that have been 
done maliciously. And then I highly recommend that you go check these out against the stuff running in your environment. Now, the author of these packages is staging a broad campaign against software developers, though from the cybersecurity researchers, no one's quite sure what the end goal of this is going to be. Is it to take down systems? Is it to, to attack? Um, obviously, it's to gather information, but the end goal is not necessarily as clear as we would hope it to be. Um, but we've talked about this several times on the show, um, and some of it's been malicious. Some of it's been uh, to strike back against uh, people reusing code they got online. Rather than hire developers, they just kind of get these pre-configured packages. Uh, they just let them run. There's no checking to make sure that they are correct. That just, hey, this package works. It's on GitHub or it's on uh, a, a, a repository like this one is. I'm just going to add it into my code and call it when I need it. And this is why it's important to, uh, to have, if you have a development cycle in your organization, doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 500 or, 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 or a um, small, you know, let's say, you know, organization. If you're developing code, it is very important that you hire someone who knows exactly what they're doing and then probably have someone who has a development security mind, which is different than my kind of security. It is someone who's who's whose focus is on making sure code runs as secure as possible and that it's not vulnerable. Having someone like that look at the code, because anyone can throw together code. Um, if they're, you know, uh, at least a little bit tech savvy when it comes to coding. You know, they can grab pieces here. And look, I, I will admit why I'm not a coder. I, I have used uh, this tactic to build websites and to build um, little apps for myself in which I grab code um, from different sources and then kind of work my way into making it work in that platform. I, I understand some of the code, but maybe not all of the code. Um, and this is where this vulnerability comes in because I'm grabbing code I may not know, which may have a callback to a more malicious intent. So it's definitely something you have to pay attention to and look out for to make sure that your code is running the way you expect it to. Um, and hopefully if, the, if this... People who have this have a DevSec or development security um, component to their organization. Maybe, hopefully, they caught that before this code was able to be ran in the environment or run in production. Um, maybe not. not no one's 100% uh, perfect on it, but this shows you why good security practices should be built from the ground up. You don't want to find this running in your environment now. You want to find it in the early phases, maybe in a, in a, in a test environment that doesn't have a lot of production data to it. Um, and honestly, you probably want to catch it before it even gets that far. But, you know, realistically, you know, catch it early. Don't make it in production um, because this is what's happened. You know, they have information on, on the on the servers. They who uses them, um, maybe some SSH keys so that they then connect to your server, whether externally or internally. It, you know, it's a whole different discussion. But having pieces of a puzzle just makes it slightly more likely that you might end up for an attack. And as I said, we don't know what this threat actor is doing with this right now or this author. Um, but I'm assuming they're going to either use it or sell it. That's usually the way it goes. You're not, you're not collecting you know, keys to connect to a server uh, just for fun. Maybe you are. Maybe it's some kid uh, uh, who, who's just learning this stuff and likes to do this. But more than likely, my fear is that some of this will be used. And we'll keep an eye out for it and see. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide you with an update. But we'll see where it goes. Um, and just make sure you use 
good security practices in designing your applications to hopefully kind of avoid this stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Don't forget, you can find out more information on cybersecuritynewsbyte.com, which has all the show notes, including the, the, the notes and the links for the stories in which I get uh, these stories from, so that you can read more and do your own uh, kind of um, deep dive into some of this stuff, because I kind of hit it at a top level. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, you can always go to my website, jimguckin.com. If you want to reach out, talk, have a show idea, um, anything along those lines, you can always reach out to me, me at jimguckin.com. And uh, please make sure you stay safe online, and we'll talk again next week. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. 